Good morning and welcome to episode 500 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Ben, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Uh, we're going to skip the Diamondbacks headlines portion <laughs> of the show uh, today, uh, although there were some good ones. Uh, Dude, double segment on Monday. We have, uh, yeah, maybe. We have special guests, um, two of them, in fact. One is Grant Brisby, uh, who you know from SB Nation and McCovey Chronicles. Um, and the other is Jeff Sullivan, who you knew from SB Nation, but now you know him from Fangraphs, as well as occasionally 538. Uh, and uh, this is, I don't know, it might not be exciting for you guys out there. Uh, but for us, it's very exciting. I would say that Grant and Jeff are the two writers that I love the most in the world. Uh, I don't want to say that they're the two best. They probably are, but I don't want to say they are because <laughs> then people might think that I'm dismissing other great writers. But they're the two that I love the most. And I think that's close to true for, for Ben as well. Is that true for you as well, Ben? Yes. Yeah, and I mean the biggest challenge in writing, I think, for for me and probably for Ben is uh, to uh, to not go over the line into just completely plagiarizing uh, Grant and Jeff's work. Uh, so, Grant and Jeff, hello. Hi, I would like to call you on something. Uh, first of all, I don't know what the what the swearing rules are on this podcast. I'll try not to do it. But just the other day, when you were you were uh, saying your fond farewell to Ben's. Tenure baseball prospectus, you asserted that he was the best in your opinion. <laughs> Therefore, uh, you have some decisions to make and tread carefully on identifying the best. There can only be one best. Yeah, well, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice, Sam. Uh huh. I think that one could make the case that right now I'm, I'm speaking to the three best baseball writers in the world, and that is a, a daunting thing. Uh, it's a great thing. So I'm glad you guys are here. Grant and Jeff, you guys haven't spoken since Jeff left SB Nation, right? You haven't. This is a great big reunion for you, correct? Well. First, first time you've talked to each other in two years. We've been feuding. Yeah. We've had, we've had our issues. The water is uh, not quite under the bridge. The bridge is very tall and the water is very murky. And uh -huh. it's not under the bridge. The thing about Grant is he's thwarted my several attempts to have him killed, and so it just it's become this thing that I don't actually know if he was aware. He just kind of, but we we communicate. Uh, we we definitely communicate. I haven't heard his his delicious voice in in a while. It sounds a little different on podcast than it does in person. It's preferable in person, I think. But little little uh, smoke here in person. Yeah, we have our uh, we have our our rumors, our uh, our backroom gossip. We talk about and. Uh, uh, a long time ago, uh, after I left Fangra or after I left SB Nation, but oh, he almost broke some news there. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, I'm coming to take your. I'm not taking your job, <laughs> but uh, shortly after I left, so I don't know the exact date, although I could just read this. But John Heyman uh, posted a tweet, and uh, he he does that a lot. Uh, John Heyman tweets a lot, but he posted a particular one that was about. I don't remember his name, but it was a Red Sox prospect, and the tweet was hashtag Red Sox prospect sent to AAA after arrest <laughs> for driving 111 miles per hour and crashing car. Maybe they should send him instead to A. See, it doesn't actually work so well spoken. It's better as no, it right, works. Because right. it's AAA yeah. and AA. And, uh, and what Grant decided to do was, was not ignore the tweet like you do most of them, but he, uh, he decided to send it to me in every conceivable way uh, that you can... <laughs> 
com- uh, send the communication to somebody else. And so, uh, you know, there was a there was a retweet and there was a an email and there was a there was a text and there was a favorite and there was a direct message and courier uh, service a, singing a variety of other things. Well, what I have on my fridge right now is a hand drawn and hand transcribed copy of the tweet uh, that Grant put together, presumably in what I would estimate to be about seven and a half hours of careful calligraphy, and he uh, he drew the tweet for me and mailed it to me in a letter. And it is on my refrigerator, uh, uh, along with something drawn by Bradley Woodrum. And it is among my prized possessions. Probably one of the ten things I would take out of here if there were a fire that I started. (laughs) It should be known that I don't take effort on anything. (laughs) I don't don't make an effort to do anything at all. Raise kids, write about baseball. But for some reason, I had to recreate that tweet (laughs) with my bare hands. And go to a post. There's a there's a picture of John Hammond on the on the hand drawn tweet with the the customation that he has a butt for a face, and there's also a note in parentheses and an arrow that says butt for a face. So there was there was a little artist's uh, por- yeah. You guys are very cute. You've always been very cute. That's <laughs> one of the things I most miss on the internet is you two being cute in the same region, same general area. Now it's more just passive aggressive cute. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So there's the banter. Jeff Sullivan provides the banter for the day. Appreciate that. Uh, we're going to do a draft today uh, uh, because, uh, of course, drafts are the worst part of our show. Uh, and so, how can you do episode 500 without a draft? Uh, so, we're going to do a draft. We're all just going to draft a thing um, baseball things. That's the draft. The draft is baseball things. Uh, everybody's going to pick a baseball thing, and then everybody will then pick another baseball thing, and then everybody will pick a third baseball thing, and then uh, John Chenier, our official scorekeeper of Effectively Wild, will figure out a way uh, to put these into a spreadsheet and measure who's winning for the next 15 or so years, um, and that'll be the show. So uh, everybody brought a couple things to draft. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought, okay, so I drafted for the short term. I didn't, I wasn't... It's, oh, a, okay. it's a keeper league. This is... Okay. Uh, I was not warned. I'm going to be the Phillies. Flags fly forever. If you win, <laughs> if you win this year, you can take a certain pride in that. There's, there's only four teams. <laughs> I feel like you should win about almost four flags over the course of 15 years. <laughs> uh, so these are uh, things that we will like about baseball. We I, should clarify. Yeah. I, it, we shouldn't clarify. No. Uh, okay. I've dealt with clarifying for you three enough today on this. There, there is no point. You have to understand. This is a nonsense framing device okay so uh you can draft any words that you want anything anything is fine just justify it and uh and that'll work so uh there's also a rule that if somebody drafts something from a category that category is off limits uh that's a rule that i don't expect to be enforced uh frankly (laughs) and i think we can argue that any specific drafty is part of such a limited category that it doesn't actually prevent anyone else from from taking something similar. I think that's probably true. I, I don't anticipate any problems here. I also don't anticipate uh, really any good things. I anticipate very little. Mm-hmm. Did you say we're drafting words? Uh, you you can, Grant. You can draft, you could draft me. And, and so I, I can draft People always ask what like my favorite word is. Yeah. And I found it, it's unfurl. <laughs> like when you unfurl a flag, it's just a, it's a 
great word. So when he got when he said that you uh, drafting words or baseball words and stuff, I, I got excited. Sorry, sorry. We'll go on with the draft. You know what word I learned recently is uh, borborygmus, which Ooh. is the sound that your stomach makes when you're hungry. Ooh. Oh, that's one of those. That's one of those words that I know that I knew before. Like it's just familiar enough that you can recognize something as something you used to know. And it yeah. just kind of makes you feel old and undereducated. Yeah, it's a. It's also a word that sounds, you know, cute and funny and whimsical. And I brought it up because, uh, you know, it's cute and funny and whimsical. But the context I read it in was Chilean miners starving to death. Oh, uh, dear. That yeah. makes it sound like much, much less like a sniglet. <laughs> when you read it in that context. Do you like furl or only only the opposite of that? <laughs> uh, I. Furl's all right. Uh, you know, I, I could do with furl, but there's something with the two syllables. I mean, unfurl, like you, you're really accomplishing something that's basically just unrolling a sheet of something. So, uh, yeah, I, I can do furl, though. Furl's good. What about peat? Like peat moss. Do you like... <laughs> I, 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 peat? I, <laughs> all right, I might have it's to draft a, it's a, it's a strange. <laughs> a strange substance. I don't know that I've ever actually encountered it. Uh, well, it's uh, it's one of those off days for what? Whiskey? Grant, you know. Yeah, no, like yeah. some good Laphroaig scotch that just tastes like you're sucking on a rock. I love it. <laughs> Drink right. it some, drinking some right now. It's only 11.20. Well, like most drafts, this one will begin after the scheduled time. <laughs> uh, so we'll let a guest go first. Uh, there, by the way, have been... I just want to say that, of course, uh, one of us had to do this. Uh, there have been about 70 mosses in minor league baseball history, but no peat mosses. So, ah, sorry. <laughs> one of these days. Well, it's like who was the the last pick? I think the A's last pick of the draft a couple of years ago was named Travis Pitcher. Yeah. That one that one always stuck with me. I like that idea, although I think he's bad. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, anybody want to go first? Do we have a a volunteer, or should I go first? I don't want to. I don't want to top first. slot money. All right, so uh, my pick is going to be Babe Ruth. First pick in a baseball draft seems like it should be Babe Ruth. Uh, I like I like everything about Babe Ruth. One of the things I like about Babe Ruth is that you get the feeling that uh, two thousand years from now there will be big debates about whether we're supposed to read his his biography literally or whether it's all metaphor, like the Book of Genesis. Uh, it, none of it actually seems realistic, and uh, it's, it sort of seems like uh, like a hoax that people forgot was a hoax. But my favorite thing about Babe Ruth uh, is, of course, that no-hitter that he threw uh, with Ernie Shore, uh, where Babe Ruth uh, pitched to one batter, walked him, got ejected, and then Ernie Shore came in, uh, got the runner stealing, and then retired the next 26 batters. And the reason that I like this uh, this game and, and Babe Ruth's part in it particularly is because this game is essentially, well, Babe Ruth and, and Ernie Shore are essentially the Homer Simpson and Frank Grimes uh, story told in real life. Uh, so just think about if you were at this game, or, or think about if you were Ernie Shore. There's this kid who's like 23 and is, is already you know a bit of a celebrity, and he goes out, and the way that Babe Ruth gets ejected is he walks the first guy on four pitches, starts screaming at the umpire immediately. After one batter, starts screaming at the umpire. The umpire tells him, hey, quiet down or I'm going to run you. And Babe Ruth says, if you run me, uh, quote, I will come in and bust you on the nose. And so <laughs> the umpire kicks him out of the game. 
And Ruth runs in and actually does bust him on the nose, starts punching the umpire. Several policemen had to drag Ruth off the field. And so then Ernie Shore comes in. So here's the story of Ernie Shore. Ernie Shore was a, uh, a good kid, a smart kid, and uh, you know, sort of wanted to be an engineer. Grew up on a farm, went to college, um, uh, taught math at a, at a university in the off-season. Even at this point, he was already doing that, teaching math at a university in the off-season. Uh, good kid, quiet kid, and he comes in to relieve this guy who's essentially the monster of, of his time when you really think about it. He's a sociopath. He punches the umpire after one batter. And so then Ernie Shore comes in and very quietly retires the next 26 guys, gets, throws what is essentially a perfect game. So if you look in the history books, though, and I'm looking at the Major League Baseball's list of no-hitters right now, and Shore is listed merely as having thrown a combined no-hitter. Uh, according to Major League Baseball's records, Ernie Shore's accomplishment was equal to that of Lucas Lutke getting one out in a game in 2012 against the Angels, uh, combined no-hitter. And the, the Ernie Shore-Frank Grimes thing sort of goes further. So uh, Ernie Shore enlisted in the military during World War I at the height of his career. He missed a year doing this. He went to officer school at Harvard while he was doing it, so he took it really seriously. He talked about uh, being in the Navy as long as he was needed. Uh, he got uh, a stripe on his whatever you get stripes on. Uh, but he was never the same as a pitcher after he came back after the war. He had a bad year. He blamed it on, on, the, uh, on some of the workouts they did in the military. He got mumps. He basically played two more years. Uh, after his career, he, he was a sheriff. He, he ran for sheriff and won. He was a, you know, a good guy, and um, when he was a teammate with Babe Ruth, uh, they were roommates, and quote, this is according to the Sabre bio of uh, Shore, quote, Manchild Ruth was a poor match for the mild-mannered Southerner. A story circulated for years that Shore had asked for a new roommate after the Babe had used his toothbrush without asking. <laughs> Shore would continue to save Babe Ruth from his own uh, sociopathic behavior years later. In 1920, the last year of Shore's career and the last year there were teammates, Ruth was called, quote, a piece of cheese by a fan of the crowd. <laughs> Ruth, Ruth went into the crowd to attack the fan. The fan pulled a knife and Shore got in between them. And, uh, and, and played Peacemaker and, you know, maybe saved Babe Ruth's career. Ruth tried his best to ruin his career anyway. He got syphilis. He missed time in the middle of his career for it. He was a horrible monster of a man. And yet, at the end of the day, uh, Ruth is the one who gets all the credit. Shore gets none of the credit. Forty years after the knife incident, uh, Roger Maris was breaking Babe Ruth's uh, single-season record. And Shore went so far as to, to defend Ruth and say it's a shame to see his record broken and, and stand up for his teammate. Uh, Ernie Shore is the uh, the good guy who just could never quite get credit, and Babe Ruth was the monster who uh, continually fell uphill. Sounds to me like maybe you should have drafted Ernie Shore. No, 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 Babe Ruth. <laughs> no, because How of quick. because of his connection to Ernie Shore. <laughs> Mostly, it's Babe Ruth, Ben. <laughs> now I feel like a complete ass because I was going to pick Buster Posey's eyes. <laughs> and that that I didn't that that was like a great story. You know, I like, had a I had a head start. I, like Tim Lincecum's pouting lips, like that's all I have. Yeah, Buster, no, that's how Buster how Post's quick eyes. were people to weapons ninety five years ago? <laughs> a piece of cheese, and then a man comes to make you pay your penance, and then you're like, well, I insulted you, and now 
I'm going to try to stab you to death. Yeah. And he wasn't even the one who was insulted. Like, he he threw a barb, and then he he, he took out, he unfurled, perhaps, yeah. uh, a, a literal sort of barb, and he was going to stab Babe Ruth. Like, how did yeah. people survive <laughs> that time of... They really should have been drinking more alcohol back then. Like, they should have just calmed people down, because Prohibition was making people crazy. I don't think they did survive as often. Well, they're all pretty Many much of them one died of those guys sooner. Is, yeah, they're all Well, they're all dead now. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, that doesn't say true. much for their survival skills. I I wouldn't even put Buster Posey's eyes in my top 3 baseball players eyes, I don't think. Who's your number 1 eyes, Ben? Ryan Domit. Yeah. Oh. That's fair. And then you got Domit. Bryant, Chris Bryant eyes. Hunter Pence. Yes. Where do you put the Jeff Franco eyes? The, uh, They're up there. the crazy lopsided eyes. We should have drafted eyes. What are we doing here? Well, but we I, only have three or four players' eyes. <laughs> my uh, my favorite eyes are... I'm, I'm actually reviewing right now so that I have some evidence behind this. But uh, my favorite eyes are either uh, Howie Kendrick or uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. I don't know oh. a lot about their eyes. Well, I, well, are we talking eyes or eyebrows? Like, how much... Is it just the ball? <laughs> just the eyeball? Uh, well, it's the eyeball and the soul behind. So, which which Scherzer eye do you take first? <laughs> <laughs> the the green one. You always go green. I think it's Grant's turn green, to draft. No, green light go. <laughs> okay, uh, drafting. I am. I came up with. Uh, I was going to draft the other Ryan Braun because. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm just excited that he exists and that for the rest of his life. He's going to have to say, you know, I used to play baseball. You did. What's your name? <laughs> Ryan Braun. But wait. Like, is he going to start with the butt weight? Is he going to wait? Is he going to, like, impatiently look at the ceiling? Or is he just going to, like, have this smug look on his face like, yeah, ask me, you asshole. Um, I just – can I say that word? I, I got, yes. I got carried away. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I used to love, like, you know, there's two Jeff D'Amico's, there's two Steve Ontiveros Sosos. I mean, like, I've I, always been fascinated with players that share names, uh, irrationally so. But for some reason, the, the gulf between Ryan Braun, superstar, and, and arch-villain, and Ryan Braun, nondescript relief pitcher, has always fascinated me. Uh, so I'm going to pick the other Ryan Braun. I'm I'm pleased uh, that you brought up the the other Jeff D'Amico, but I think along the same lines, I think one of my favorite things. So I always loved that the Padres had like Adrian and Edgar Gonzalez because they looked identical when they were batting together in the lineup because uh, they had the exact same. Fa- anyway, but in 2002, the Padres had both Bobby Jones, which is like one of them I believe was white, one of them was black. They were very different Bobby Jones, but they had both Bobby Jones, which is crazy. Uh, I like- so I think that that yeah. takes your yeah. I like level. the uh, I like the Tommy Malones uh, because Malone is the incorrect spelling, and there have never been any <laughs> two Tom Malones with the correct spelling. Uh, and I also like the, I, I, that that's a good one, Grant. I I think a, a pick a reasonable pick in that spot might have been uh, that Alex Gonzalez was once the number one similarity player on Baseball <laughs> Reference for Alex Gonzalez, but yes. the other Alex Gonzalez was not the number one similarity for the other. <laughs> <laughs> or or um, Chris Young, the pitcher, was involved in the trade for Adam Eaton, the pitcher, 
And then years later, oh my gosh, the center fielder was pushing out Chris Young, the center fielder, and it was like this big, nonsensical, meaningful something or rather that I've never quite parsed. But the Chris Young and Adam Eaton circles that fascinated me too. I think my favorite thing about the Alex Gonzalez's is that if you look them up on Baseball Reference, one of them has accent marks and the other does not. So the wow. the Alex Gonzalez who was active as of earlier this year, or technically maybe still is, has two accent oh. marks. He has accent marks on both A's in his name, whereas the retired Alex Gonzalez does not. He Maybe he was he just didn't have much uh, affect in his voice or something. He just didn't, he didn't really hit well, those was, A's as hard when he was playing. Um, he, was, uh, he was American born as right. well. So I don't see how anyone could really ever confuse them. Once, <laughs> once you once you know this, actually, so, that that's very helpful. I I actually think that I will now no longer confuse them. That is like a significant development in my Alex in in the field of Alex Gonzalez. <laughs> I like that the other Ryan Braun arrived so shortly before the the famous Ryan Braun. He was called. He had a September call up in two thousand six. So for about a month, he had the baseball encyclopedia to himself. He was the only really prominent Ryan Braun. And then and then the famous Ryan Braun comes along in May of 2007. So he had just this short, short time in the sun when he was the only Ryan Braun. And then the other Ryan Braun came along. It was all downhill. <laughs> oh, and yeah, one, well, another thing I was going to love about, about baseball, but this is actually the same thing, so I can't draft it again, was that when the Giants had Mike Stanton, the reliever, they let him go after the 2007 season, 2008 season, can't remember. Uh, they let him go, and the Reds signed him, and because the Reds signed him, the Giants got a supplemental draft pick. So they're in this draft, that, and they have this extra pick that they got from Mike Stanton. And the pick comes to them, and there's a high school kid, big high school kid, whose name is Mike Stanton, and he, he's just sitting there. And he's supposed to be, you know, a first rounder, second rounder. Like he's supposed to be at the top of the draft. The Giants have this draft pick for Mike Stanton. And there wasn't one person in the front office that said, you know what would be cool? Because that's generally how most <laughs> drafts go. It's, it's just like, you know what would be awesome is if we drafted, you know, the, the son of Chuck Connors or something. But for whatever reason, no one said, you know what would be cool? Let's let's draft this Mike Stanton because we, we got the pick for the other Mike Stanton. And everyone would have said, yeah, it's a great idea. And it didn't happen. And that's the story of how the Giants missed out on Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, so you know, one of my other favorite things. You know, um, there's this idea if you're like an independent coffee shop and, and a Starbucks moves in down the street, there's this idea that Starbucks is going to come in and ruin your business. And that's why everybody hates Starbucks. But what they actually find, what economists actually find, is that Starbucks moving into your town or your area is the best thing for an independent coffee shop because it, it, all the attention given to this big Starbucks and um, creates this whole new market of latte drinkers and people who want to drink a four-dollar coffee, and so it's you know it's really counterintuitively the best thing that can possibly happen to you is that um, a bigger, mainstreamier, more powerful version of yourself will move in right down the street from you, and. When Ben, when you were talking about the couple weeks that Ryan Braun had the baseball world to himself, mm. it it sort of is the same kind of idea. It was it was not any sort of accomplishment to be the only Ryan Braun yet. It meant nothing. We we didn't even pay attention to him. And then well, when the meant real, something to him. But when the real Ryan Braun came in, all of a sudden the 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 fake Ryan Braun's like average draft position in fantasy drafts probably shot way up 
because like people were accidentally drafting him, and so it was, you know, in a way, the best thing for him. In the long run, though, I'm not sure it served him so well. We're, yeah, maybe not. If you if you don't think there's any value to four bloggers talking about you on a podcast <laughs> on a Thursday afternoon, I wonder what a years after you retire. I wonder what a Royals Ryan Braun autograph goes for. I wonder if there's just any any secondary market for that just out of what confusion. What if you got the other Ryan Braun the autograph? It. On August 10th, 2002, the Padres played the Reds and started Bobby Jones. On August 11th, 2002, the Padres played the Reds and started Bobby Jones, and they allowed nine runs in both games and they lost. They were they weren't very good pitchers, but that that's the only time they could they pitched. Uh, consecutively that I can find. That's of interest to me. That's the same year that it was Dennis Tankersley. You remember Dennis Tankersley? I do. Oh. He was a part of that Padres team that was just going to did the next wave of talent that Jake Guttrow and Tag Bozied. And- Tag Bozied, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Xavier and 80, I think, made good out of all of them. Like the, That was the success, I think, maybe. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm looking at a Royal a Royals Ryan Braun autographed 2007 upper deck on sale for two dollars. Hmm. What about uh, Jeff D'Amico? <laughs> which which one, Jeff? <laughs> oh, oh wait, hey, the other Jeff D'Amico was also a Royal. Hmm. That's interesting. All right, whose pick? Oh, I guess mine. All, or, or, whoever. Or, yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, what order? I guess I don't know how you're gonna. So okay. So I'm gonna t- take. I don't remember the year exactly. <coughs> I don't remember the year exactly they're doing this at Petco Park. Pro- all I'm gonna estimate maybe 2005, 2006. But I'm gonna take the Petco Park rotating scoreboard faces. I remember. <laughs> like you go to any baseball game, and then when a player comes up to bat, then you're gonna have like his picture goes up, and then you're gonna have his statistics and what he's done in the game, and maybe like a trivia. Trivia factoid. That's just standard. You accept it at every single ballpark that has a, a big enough scoreboard. And so the Padres would do that, and they moved in Beko, and they do the usual thing where you have just like the the bust, right? The the portrait of the guy from the nipples up, basically. And then it's like, that's the baseball player who's down there that we can't really see. But there was one year, at least one year, and the Padres decided they were going to change things up, maybe make it a little more... A little, uh, more uh, compelling. Just grab your attention a little more because you know hitters take forever to walk up to the plate, and then they step out of the box. Everything. So, what they started doing instead of when did when did football broadcasts start having like the players move? You know, like instead of taking the still shot, they just like lift their heads up and they say, "I'm from the Ohio State University." When was that? Because that I feel like that's within the past ten years. Feels like Feels maybe a little more. I don't think I've watched a college football game in the past ten years, and I've seen it happen. All right. Well, I think Maybe that not. if you're watching a college football game, they don't all say that they're from the Ohio State because uh, you know you're watching in Ohio. Anyway, so uh, Padres decided instead of having just the stationary <laughs> pictures, then they would have the players begin uh, looking to, uh, I think, the left. They would look 90 degrees away, and then their heads would very slowly rotate to face the camera, except they would not change their expressions uh, as if they were just turning like, oh, hey, I didn't see you over there. They would instead just like look 
uh, away from the camera and then fix their gaze and then turn to look at the camera. And they all, every single player on that team, not just Khalil Green, looked like they were going to murder you. <laughs> these, these look like dolls that you have in the corner of a dark bedroom. It's just really, truly unsettling. And it was the first of... I would say probably 10 years of unsettling baseball experiences at Petco Park, and that continues to this day, but it was a different sort of unsettling. And like there was a lot about Khalil Green era that was a little weird that uh, we didn't really ever get to dive into, but I think that right there, that that is the image I have of Petco Park. It's Khalil Green's face slowly turning with this glum, like, I don't want to be any part of this life on this planet. And then he looks at the camera and he says, I'm at the plate now. <laughs> and those those animations have grown more elaborate since then. Now they're <laughs> they're often full body. There's there's a bat being swung. It's very artistic lighting. Um, oh God, they ah oh, that same year they did a seventy like you know a seventies throwback day with the exact same animations and so they had all the players like photoshopped into this festive gear but they still had the same stupid expression and Khalil Green had the same stupid expression like he was really not having spirit week that day it was just yeah it the juxtap- it was perfect it was perfect it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen at a baseball stadium and uh, the category that nobody else i guess can draft from is i don't know scoreboard introduction faces <laughs> yeah a, it's a rich rich vein that you just took off the table uh <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that's off the table. Uh, same names are off the table, and Simpsons allegories are off the table. Right. <laughs> Ernie Shore, gone. The Giants do do something like that. I don't think I don't think they still do it, but it, there was one season where they would have like this bumper between uh, commercials, and it would be kind of like the the camera zooming in and out of like Sergio Romo's face as he kind of looked. <laughs> camera maybe toss the baseball up and still, and it's it's not weird until you put it into like a gift form. Then just have it completely loop and just loop and loop. And you're looking at it, it's like, man, what? I mean, they had to do just takes and takes and takes of this stuff. And there was someone who had to sit down and, and watch all this and decide what the best 10-second snippet of looking into the camera awkwardly as the camera kind of zoomed in and stuff. It's a, it's a compelling genre. Yeah, the Yankees, I remember a couple years ago, I happened to go to Yankee Stadium. And what they would do is they would have uh, – they would have every player and every coach on the team in order say appear on the scoreboard and say, "Hello, fans. I'm Alex Rodriguez or whoever. Welcome to Yankee Stadium." And it was the exact same line repeated like 35 times. <laughs> you were just trying to figure out like what they were what they were going for. What is the lesson here? Because no artist, you know, does something without some intent. So whoever it was that came up with that idea was was obviously trying to say something about. Uh, either the uh, fungibility of all man or perhaps the uh, subtle differences that make us human or something like that. But it was just the exact same line for like seven minutes. You and I, you and I witnessed that together. We, yeah, shared, we, a, we shared a laugh. You and we I and it. John Heyman, actually, although he doesn't know that. <laughs> did he have a butt for a face? <laughs> I guess it could have been a statement on what the Internet has done to our attention and how maybe you just need to be reminded, this is Yankee Stadium, you guys, like 35 <laughs> times in a row, just so you know where you are. Uh, okay, I'm up. <clears throat> uh, so the thing that I'm going to take would, in different company would be a reach, I think. In this company, I'm surprised it's still on the board, frankly. Uh, and my thing is Pitch FX. Um, uh-huh. I'm taking, taking Pitch FX off the board uh, because... 
if not for PitchFX, I would I would either not be writing about baseball or I would be writing poorly about baseball, I think. Uh, or I, I would just be writing about why bat flips are, are bad at this point, I think, because I would just be totally out of ideas. And the, the scary thing is that uh, well, if you if you imagine just imagine a world without PitchFX and how that would change our routines and uh, to to put the fear of God into you, there the a world without PitchFX could could very well be this world for all we know. We have no no guarantee that tomorrow we will still have access to PitchFX. I like to live my life as if every day is my last with access to PitchFX, and uh, I just. The, I, the impotence that I would feel as an analyst if I were suddenly robbed of that resource is a frightening thing to contemplate. When I was growing up, apparently, my mom thought that, I don't know if she was joking or not, but she thought that my future job would be a fire lookout in the woods because I guess I didn't get along with people. And I think that maybe if pitch effects were to go away, like you, I wouldn't have any. I wouldn't know how to write about baseball anymore. So I think uh, that might be the impetus to become. Maybe we all become fire lookouts together. <laughs> Not together. Like you don't need four people looking at, in the same woods, but we can sure, communicate by back to back. I guess there's four directions, right? Right. So yes. Just, yeah. That's perfect. Uh, so because I drafted pitch effects, I am the only one of us who is allowed to use it in future articles. Oh. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I guess I mean, now we have three fire lookouts. <laughs> I mean, PitchFX is a, a must. Like, I can't. I I remember writing without embedding videos, and I don't. Well, I know I don't remember. I should say, <laughs> being able to describe something with words. I mean, that's so archaic to be able to say, like, you know, he he loft. You know, just I don't even know how you start describing a home run. You know. He, he clambered a huge dinger. Is clambered a bird? I don't even know anymore. I just embed a video and just say, here. Unfurl home runs, if I recall correctly. I am a magic, you know, I can take up you and here's a portal into the world of that home run. I'm magic, new media, watch this. And I can't write without it. And that's there kind of a... did you just you... Did you just draft embeddable videos? Was that your pick? No, I think it's kind of like pitch FX. Mm, okay. Yeah, tools. Yeah, tools for tools for research and writing is, mm. is off the board. That that removes splits. I was I was thinking about choosing splits and or split finders, uh, but now I can't. It's a broad interpretation of pitch effects, but okay. I remember in uh, two thousand four, uh, I had one of those Bill James books that had a bunch of statistics toward the end of it, like uh, leaderboards. And I remember the Mariners had just signed Adrian Beltre at that point. I was really curious. Maybe this is 2000, whatever. But uh, some of the numbers in the back of the book were like batting average for the year on sliders and change-ups and fastballs. And it blew my mind because I'd never seen that data before. And I thought, oh, my God, I have to have more of this. And then like the next year when Beltre was – was not very good for the Mariners, and we all identified like, oh, we swing into that low-way slider stuff. I remember I paid money to whoever the source was specifically so I could get like Beltre's information on batting average against sliders, as if that was that <laughs> held the key to everything that I needed to know about Adrian Beltre. And at the time, it felt so true, and I was so excited to be able to share that data with the internet. And now it's like I couldn't even pretend to look at those numbers and not identify all of the holes with it. <laughs> if I have any issue with PitchFX, it's that now we're expected to show our work, which is 
fine. I mean, it's good. Accountability is good. It's nice to know that somebody's not making things up. Uh, but I wish that you could just say, like, if like if you know that Adrian Beltre is bad against sliders, I wish you could just say that that's the case instead of <laughs> having to have seventeen graphs. Uh, I mean, baseball articles. Uh, you know, for as long as I've been reading them, there's, uh, you know, the, on the internet, there's been this clash between, uh, ugly and informative. And, uh, it would kind of be cool if like, we could just like say, oh no, I've seen the numbers guys, just trust me. But now everybody expects, uh, you to make, uh, you know, a, a heat map and, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how to make a heat map. <laughs> everything takes so long. Like when we first started blogging, things would take like, 30 or 30 minutes or something and then yeah. you would just write and it right. was easy but now everything is so has to be so thoroughly researched so people don't call you on your on on being wrong just so you know uh what you're talking about it it makes the process a lot more involved like blogging has completely changed well i'd let you guys do it and then i just link to you quote <laughs> <laughs> you and if you say something interesting and then i i, I mean i don't do any work I don't know. I mean, it, it's funny how you, you know, Sam, you said you you uh, liked my writing. I don't think you've read any of my writing. <laughs> I don't yeah. do work. I like the memory of your writing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. We, uh, I promised that we wouldn't go too long or earlier to one of the three of you. And so we're. I think we just have to do one more round, if, if that's okay. No, Is we're doing the whole draft. We're not skipping the draft. Jesus. Well, Jeff's the one I promised. So <laughs> if Jeff well, now to- I made time. All right. Uh, all right. So I'll I'll do my second uh, my second pick is uh, radio commercials during radio baseball games. Uh, I love radio commercials. I've always loved them. I love that there's only seven and the season. I mean, the, if there's one thing you could say about a baseball season, it's that it is forever, and yet they only make seven commercials and you get them all. Um, uh, you know, for the entire season. I love that. But but what I really love about them is that there's this combination of uh, a lot of the commercials are things that advertise nowhere else. I've never seen uh, the Plumbers and Pipe Fitters Union uh, <laughs> <laughs> marketing themselves anywhere but a ball game. I've heard a million commercials on on ball games, and like it's interesting that somewhere someone made the decision that th- this is where the whole budget goes, you know. And uh, alongside those tiny, tiny, tiny little things, you have like Budweiser. Where, like, some similarly, some guy decided that um, they would, in, you know, invest like thirty dollars of their like multi-billion-dollar advertising budget uh, to advertise on these little radio uh, spots. And it's the same when you look at like the minor league ballpark fences. The the fences always have ads, and it's like um, chiropractor, uh, my Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that too. Like I just I love anywhere where where the scale of the sport becomes absurd, where like you you realize like oh yes, yeah, some of these people are making twenty five million dollars a year and nobody thinks anything of it, and some of them are just these tiny 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 little parasites on the bottom of the sport trying to to squeeze a couple of extra nickels out of it. So I had um uh I one time uh, uh Rev Halo fan who um, was the SB Nation blogger for the Angels uh, thought about sponsoring the post-game show on the Angels games, on the Angels radio game. <laughs> and so it was going to be like sponsored by Halo's Heaven, kind of a natural fit. So he called and asked how much it would cost. And so what do you think it costs to sponsor the, the post-game show 
for like let's say the whole season. Oh, uh, ten ten thousand ten thousand dollars. Yeah, a thousand and fifty dollars. <laughs> wow. So when you think about how much effort goes into putting on these radio broadcasts for all of us, and to you know get these few extra dollars here and there, I love my. The other thing I love about radio broadcasts is I love how even today to this day some radio broadcasts still give their post-game show guests, the player who had the best day, you know, like you have mm. Hanley Ramirez on because he had the game-winning double, they still give him a gift certificate. <laughs> yeah, for dinner. <laughs> for dinner, To, to yeah. like a steak place or something. Like he's going to use the $75 gift certificate, and then he's going to like argue because tax and tip aren't included. <laughs> so I just I, I just love any, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not one of these people who's obsessed with the way, you know, like, the oh, the game's not how it was in my day or anything, but I do love these little parts of the game where they stay small and they still kind of remind me of the way it was when I was a kid. I think my feelings about uh, commercials on baseball radio broadcasts are kind of colored by my formative experiences with baseball radio, which mostly involved John Sterling and uh-huh. Yankees broadcast, um, yeah. in which the game is indistinguishable from the commercials, in, in a <laughs> sense. Like every, every moment is sponsored by someone every sentence almost is sponsored by someone so mm-hmm. you will just slip in that sentence i just said was sponsored by someone whenever there's a break in the action or the 15th out was sponsored by geico because they have a tenuous connection to the number 15 in their advertising campaign and i mean if you yeah yeah it, and what do you think they pay for those like what do you think geico pays for that I don't know. Um, I don't either, but I love the fact, I mean, I love that Mike Trout, if you want Mike Trout to advertise your Subway sandwich or your Nike shoe, you probably have to pay him, like, I don't know, at this point, $2 million, $3 million a year. But if you want him to advertise your credit union, he'll do it on the radio <laughs> for, like, prop, I don't know, 750 bucks. is, some, is my guess. Like those ads that they read. <laughs> it seems like a market inefficiency. It, it does, it does. Like with radio commercials and baseball, I mean, because there there were summers when I was going to school up in Oregon where that's all I had was radio. You know, I didn't have a television broadcast, and I hated radio commercials. Absolutely hated them. And it's because they have one sense to work with. When you're watching a television ad, a commercial on TV, you are getting they're they're trying to get you visually. They're trying to get you thinking. They're trying to get. Uh, you know, they're trying to put words in your ear, but they're also trying to show you something. With radio, all they've got are the ears, and, and they want to make sure you listen. So it turns into something like surprise electronics. TV commercial would be, here's a talking aardvark for Fry's Electronics. You know, hi, I'm, I'm the aardvark. Here's what you can do with a Blu-ray player. Come to Fry's. And, you know, it'll make you think and possibly go to Fry's. On the radio, it's your best buys. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you have no choice but to just your ears start bleeding, and so I don't know if you can edit that quieter, but that that's why I hate radio commercials, and that's what I think. When you first said that, it was just it, it kind of took me to a dark place. I'm gonna make it louder so that people know what you're talking about. <laughs> took me to a dark place. Sorry about that. Who's who's up? That's Grant's. Yeah, second pick, Grant. All right, second pick is, uh, let's see, I like when baseball players get mentioned in the rap or the hip-hop lyrics. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, 
I did a piece on that that you didn't read probably once. No, I did. It was it was like a power ranking of sort, but like you, yeah, you like answering the questions of the day via hip hop references. Yeah. And uh, I like that on an Earl Sweatshirt album uh, song that Mac Miller uses the line "some dope rap on your hoe ass." Tony Womack. <laughs> out of context, I love that that exists. And, you know, it's not, it, that's not a song I can necessarily quote at all. You know, I'm not trying to get street cred on the podcast <laughs> circuit. But just, I, I like when, you know, the Beastie Boys say Sadaharo or, or, uh, you know, any, anything else. Uh, I think there's a rapper who goes by Action Jackson. Who, uh, or actually, I'm sorry, Action Bronson, who, uh, so he has a lyric that, that reads, suck my, and it's very offensive, and then he follows that, blank my MF blank, it's the young Randy Velarde. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that there's got to be a touch of self-awareness in there, so it's not completely ironically hilarious, but... I just love that line, and I just I wish I had the talent to to rap because I would make a a lot of songs with Randy Velarde references or comparable references therein. Am I up? Oh, uh, or, you know you're up. Okay, we're gonna wipe the category uh, reactive player expressions because I think one of my most cherished memories of all of baseball. This goes back to the 1995 American League Division Series when the Mariners came back and they beat the Yankees. Game five, and after Edgar Martinez hits his game winning double, the whole team is like piling on Griffey at home play because he scored the winning run. It's one of the last time Ken Griffey Jr. ever smiled. And <laughs> they show this clip, and it what it's a little weird to look at this clip of the Yankees dugout and see like a young Derek Jeter there, like just staring at the celebration, like I'm going to be in 15 of these coming up. <laughs> but you also the camera just captures Paul O'Neill, and just captures Paul O'Neill walking toward the clubhouse, like, to leave the dugout, to go to the clubhouse, and he's just staring out at the field, just, like, with the saddest eyebrows this side of, uh, I don't know, Elliot Gold, and he is just walking, walking, and it just Elliot, captures Elliot him. Gold? Elliot Gold? I, I don't... <laughs> just, just go with the flow, Sam. Just go with the flow. Sorry. I, I don't have, like, a, I don't have a mental Rolodex of men with sad eyebrows, except for this instance of... Give me 10 minutes. I'll come back with one when Ben's drafting. And just captures Paul O'Neill walking, but it doesn't just, like, show him and, like, show him walking in front of his teammates. It just shows Paul O'Neill walking for, like, 10 consecutive seconds of him. It's, like, the longest dugout in baseball, apparently, because it takes him 10 seconds to... And it, it never shows him actually get to the door. It's just... Maybe it's, like, a loop of him just walking, but he's just staring at the field, and it's, it's sad, Paul O'Neill. And the reason... That this uh, spoke to me so much is for one thing I was like ten years old, and so uh, I was I was uh, already like beyond excited. You're the kind of happy that only a kid can be happy about sports. But what I understood about Paul O'Neill at the time also was that he was this uh, total insufferable, self-important whiner. And I don't know how true that actually is because again I was a child and uh, my impressions were were biased by the fact that I was a complete idiot. But I know watching Paul O'Neill. He he, uh, he was a legitimate butt face. Yeah, he was. He wore his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, one might charitably say about the late Paul O'Neill. I don't know why I said the late Paul O'Neill, but I guess it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was just like a in maybe it was like 2009, 2008, or something. Uh, I remember uh, the Red Sox were playing the Angels in the playoffs, 
And I think it was J.D. Drew hit like this super like gut-wrenching home run off Francisco Rodriguez in the ninth inning. And I hated Francisco Rodriguez because of his whole showy you know, celebration. I hated the Angels because they're division rivals and my favorite team. And so I always hated Francisco Rodriguez. And you always love when you see those players that you hate just like look the saddest they possibly can. And I remember the broadcast on Fox went from this clip of like all the Red Sox going, hey, hey, and slapping fives in the dugout. And that cut the Francisco Rodriguez in the middle of the dugout, head down. All you saw was the, was the bill of his cap. And he was just staring at the ground like a Charlie Brown scene for 10 seconds also. And that was perfect juxtaposition. So... This is part Paul O'Neill and part Francisco Rodriguez, I guess, but it's just those moments. Paul O'Neill is the most vivid memory I have of a player I hate uh, just being super anguished on or, or near a baseball field. And I still love it to this day. Paul O'Neill has done nothing to me for 20 years, but I still love it to this day. <laughs> yeah, one of the, one of the, I think one of the harder things about watching baseball as an adult is that I know that to some degree, none of, uh, some guys do, but a lot of these guys don't actually care that much. Like they don't want to be embarrassed, of course, and they want to have a long career and make a lot of money. But part of what makes them able to do their job well is that they have the sport more or less in perspective. And very few of them, I think, live and die with these losses. They know that mm-hmm. there's a billion of them and that they're going to play again next year. Uh, and uh, I like to imagine that they are... Um, that they are as unhappy as I am or as happy as I am. I think they probably do get as happy as we do, but I don't think they ever get as unhappy as we do. No. No, and I think it's unlikely. Okay, I'm going. You're really going? bad at keeping draft order straight. Okay, so I'm going to take the fact that field dimensions are different. That's going to be the thing that I draft. Uh, I think this is, I don't know if it's unique, but it's certainly one of the distinguishing characteristics about baseball. People talk about the fact that there's no clock in baseball as a, a charming thing. Turns out that that is less charming than we <laughs> than we thought. <laughs> that is not an unalloyed good that, that games could go on as long as, as, as players want to take because uh, now they, they do. So, but the, the field dimensions thing, I think, has no, no downside. It seems like something that if baseball were designed from scratch today, there's no way that that, that would be part of it, um, that, that field dimensions would not be standardized. The extremes in field dimensions in baseball history, uh, be it the, the Baker Bowl or, or whatever it is, that just completely, completely changed the game. And everyone thought that that was okay, that, that the game was so malleable that you could just build a completely differently shaped ballpark because... It was on a hill or something, and you you had to you had to accommodate the geography of the area, and so the game shifted to accommodate the geography instead of the geography shifting to accommodate the game, which seems crazy that that would happen, and uh, it gives us I think a a clear way to identify what game we are watching at all times. If you put on a game on TV, you know where that game is. I don't know whether that's as easy to do in other sports. <laughs> which I don't watch really, but um, I guess that's what uniforms are for maybe so that you and know like who's... the logos on the field of the court. Yeah, there are ways that you yeah. could, that you could like do that. Atlanta. And different color wood is a thing that <laughs> basketball courts have, I understand. But uh, that and also the, the extra layer it adds in analysis, um, it's something that makes us sound smart that we can... That we can say that we park adjusted something, even if we even if we didn't actually do the adjustment ourselves, 
we know that you have to park adjust. We're clued in enough to know that one has to do that. It gives you an air of authority, I think, when you say that you park adjusted. You're not just some rube using unadjusted stats. Uh, and that gives us a reason to justify our uh, salaries, I think, is one one way that we justify it is that we take things like that into account. So, uh, yeah, fields being different dimensions is a great thing. In every many, draft, there's like in, in every draft, there's that moment where you go, oh, "I wish I had that pick." Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm How, sitting here with rap lyrics, and I'm looking all over <laughs> park dimensions, and what a sucker am I? Uh, hey, the Mariners just traded for Kendrys Morales. They did yeah, they did. Oh, something we should all be. Breaking news from the past. <laughs> no one's going to be writing about that. We're all here talking about Randy Velarde. Uh, Grant, when's your when's your big uh, ballpark thing coming out? I've I've been waiting like nine months since you said you were going to design a ballpark. Oh, you know, I I forget about it every time until you mention it the next time. Uh, I still have responses and they're pretty good, and I will do something. It seems like an off season thing. It was it was tethered to I think an SI piece that I, I can't even remember the original piece that, that prompted the idea. Um, but then the, my idea was to uh, get ideas from baseball writers from around the internet about what would be in their ideal ballpark. And there were some serious answers, some silly answers. And it, was, it will be, it's my Chinese democracy and it will be as good. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> and see, uh, now because of different field dimensions, when you write your post on Kendrys Morales, you will have to, mention that probably and you'll talk about how fences moved and so that changed things also and it, it impacts different people's power in different ways and it yeah. gives us something to talk about which is nice on that on that uh on that tip mark normandin uh, passes along this this nugget of information can you guess the ops of mariners dhs combined <laughs> OPS? i bet i can guess the number it starts with and this number would be a five so it's since 2010. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I haven't changed my mind. Still that's five. post Vidro, probably. <laughs> Look, you, you please, let's not have this be a mayor. I don't, I do this to get away from them. <laughs> I don't want this to be about them. Can we just please resume the draft? Don't sure. answer uh, the question that you brought up. 648. Why would you do that? Why, what did I just say? What did I just say? Average, a 298 on base percentage and a 350 slugging percentage over five years. Something we've been debating recently is whether to continue with Corey Hart or Jesus Montero. To say nothing of option C, which would be, please, not either one, not either one of them now or forever. And so what they've done to address the issue is to pick up a DH who has been even worse uh, in Kendrys Morales, who's not a good player. So this is, it's... Uh, I'm listening yeah. to you craft your post live. This is exciting. <laughs> this is, here's, here's the part of it. Here's the start of it. Uh, the Mariners uh, wanted to sign Kendrys Morales. And uh, they didn't because he didn't really want to go there. And so he went to the Twins. And then as soon as he signed with the Twins, he lost all control over where he would go. And so the Mariners basically waited for him to finish his spring training with the Twins, which is basically what playing with the Twins is. And then they traded for him. Now they get Kendrick Morales for two months. He's going to be better than Corey Hart and Jesus Montero probably. He won't be good enough to make the Mariners make the playoffs. It's going to be sad. He'll leave again. That'll be it. Done. Print it. Now I need to stretch it into 900 words in a GIF. <laughs> In a what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, sorry for making you go there, Jeff. Uh, I'll keep the draft going. My next pick is the Mariners 2005 draft. Uh, uh, 
that's not true. Uh, my my last pick is uh, GM predictions, uh, GMs making predictions. Uh, and Ben Ben does a piece every year on GM predictions, but but those are public predictions. We can't trust them. I like the good faith predictions. Um, and so Jerry Krasnick every year pulls GMs on some of the hot topics of the day uh, and asks them yes or no or where's this guy going to go. And I wrote a thing looking at all their predictions over the course of a decade and finding that they were basically no better than random chance. They add like all that expertise and knowledge adds like 2% to, to what a coin would give you. Uh, and I love this um, because it, it's, very, it's very calming to me. I mean it's so hard for us to predict uh, baseball and when we're writing – uh, it's so hard to ever be right about anything that's going to happen uh, more than 12 seconds from now. Uh, and so you feel like, oh, well, I'm just not doing my job well enough. I just don't have enough information. If I just read more and processed more and studied more and researched more. But in fact, more data gives you nothing. Even access gives you nothing. The, these are just impossible questions to answer. So uh, real quick, uh, Krasnick did this again last year, uh, a year after I wrote my analysis. And so these are the seven questions he asked them. Where will Robinson Cano sign? Uh, 19 out of 21 GMs said the Yankees. None said the Mariners. That is a big miss. Uh, which Scott Boris outfielder, Ellsbury or Chu, will provide better value over the course of his deal? Uh, the majority said Chu. Chu is much worse. He is barely replacement level right now. That is a big miss. Which of these starting pitchers do you like most? Garza, Santana, or Ubaldo Jimenez? All of them gave answers. That's a big miss. They all suck. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, former Yankees prospect, Hughes or Chamberlain, has a better chance of blossoming? They got that one right. Everybody said Hughes. Uh, which team will sign Tanaka? The uh, large majority said the Dodgers. They, they did not sign Tanaka. Tanaka signed with the Yankees, if you're here for the baseball news. Um, <laughs> will, the Tampa Bay Rays trade, uh, will the Tampa Bay Rays trade David Price this winter? 17 of 21 said yes. He is still on the Tampa Bay Rays. And which aging pitcher has the most left in the tank? Halliday, Hudson, or Kuroda? The majority said Kuroda. They should have said Hudson. They were all wrong. Someone's, someone's, if this alarm goes off, I've spent yeah, too long on this podcast. That's actually not off. what that, that's not <laughs> what that alarm means. But however, by like tremendous coincidence, it is what it means. <laughs> so <laughs> we need to sort of move, but yeah, we have, we have like eight minutes left. Let's, Brent, let's, go do it. What? Ch- change draft. Look, the doing. first round takes the longest. The second round goes fast. The third round, you just—it's like a conference all, call. I take yeah, this guy. I take this guy. Um, I, I take uh, searching for players with dirty words on Baseball Reference. <laughs> yeah. Just I, when you, when you're supposed to be working and you just go to Baseball <laughs> Reference and you just go like, well, maybe there's a player with Dong in his name, mm-hmm. and then you search for Dong, and you know there actually there's like several Koreans, but there's also Tommy Dong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Tommy Dong, and he 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 was an independent league player. He you know had a good eye. I'm looking him up right now. Played for Duluth. He had a 390 on base percentage, but no one gave Tommy Dong a chance. <laughs> I'm giving him that chance right now. And he's from, <laughs> and there is a he's from Erl, Erlangen, uh, comma D E, and then there's a flag by it. What is it? Were we talking Denmark? That's, I'm looking, I'm that's, that's Germany, idiot. D oh, Deutschland. Well, why, why wouldn't it be like G, GR? We're in, Recognize we're in, the flag. We're in America. Um, yeah, that is a German flag. <laughs> so Tommy Dong 
was born in 1972 in Germany. He graced us with a few seasons of any league ball, and now you can enter Dong into baseball reference and pull him up. <laughs> a note, some a project that I always wanted to do and never got around to when I was with Espionation. It's not really fangraphs material anymore, but I, when I was doing one of those searches, I found a guy named Lewis Blows, and I just wanted to like... <laughs> Just write an artificial biography of the story of Lewis Blows, <laughs> who never got above West Palm Beach in the Florida League with Montreal. And he was a lefty, 5'11", kind of figured maybe he could just, you know, be a lefty in the majors, carve out a career, never have to worry about money for the rest of his life. And then he was, uh, he was bad in the minor leagues. And his name is Lewis Blows. He would have come from like a middle school and a high school where he was just constantly disparaged and made fun of. Like, you're never going to accomplish anything, Lewis Blows. And then, <laughs> just, you know, basically, the Frank Graham story, I guess, just, just sucks across the board. But it really, I never did it for one thing because I never did it. And also because Espionation also has John Boys, and it's just, there's no point in trying. Mm. Not Grass still exists for a little <laughs> while longer. You could, you could do that. Yeah, I don't have enough to write about. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sometimes they don't have enough to write about. I just have to write. I think one of the, the, for me, I think maybe the hardest thing about writing, and there's something like this for for many jobs, but everyone is allowed to have off days because you can never be at your best. But when you write and you have an off day, you still have to publish your material for an audience. And yeah. so it's just, it's like, I you can't just curl up in bed and be like, not today. You still have to write whatever a thousand words and have people judge you for it. Because otherwise, your bosses are like, "Why didn't you write?" <laughs> that, well, you can just start typing naughty words into Baseball Reference and make a post out of it. And I mean, I work you, for a company that doesn't do that. <laughs> no, it, it, like you graph it. You graph it, Jeff. You know, the other day it was so hot in in Oregon for a stretch, and it's never hot enough long enough to like justify getting an air conditioner. But I wanted to get a new fan, and I genuinely could have used fan graphs to learn what kind of fan to look for <laughs> to improve circulation through my apartment. And we have nothing, not a single one, not even like on not graphs. I don't think. Do you do you ever write something and you know you had to write it, you had to you had to work that day, so you write it and you're like this has no particular value, and then you just choose not to tweet it. Is that a is that a tell that you're having an, an off day? I've done that before, but like something, I I wrote something yesterday for today that was about, I I was going to go to the the rock climbing gym I go to, and I had a time I was supposed to be there, and then I planned at night, but I still had to get like one more thing written, and I was just running out of time, and the ideas weren't making sense, so I had this little idea, and I put a thousand words around it, like some side benefit of like the Jeff Samarja trade, and then I thought about it, and I thought, well, this doesn't matter, why did I write about this? It's going to get published on Fangraphs, so I'm not looking forward to the feedback on this one, but I still wrote it, and scheduled it. And it's up there for the world to see. Hopefully it doesn't see it. I think there's some sense in it, but it just it doesn't matter. The whole piece doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone here having that feeling or not having that feeling. I mean, it's, there's I could point to 100 articles that I wish were just completely deleted. And technically, I have the power to go back. And <laughs> yeah. Actually, technically, I have the power to go back and delete your pieces, by the way. I uh, I once wrote a piece on Irvin Santana that was like that, and nobody read it. And it delighted me that nobody read it. I thought, oh, no, this system works. Like, the world has responded to this piece that has no value by assigning a value to it. And every once in a while, I'll write something that I do like, and there will be this, like, moment in the morning where I'm able to see how many views that piece is getting, and it's like, uh-oh, this could be close. A piece I like could actually supplant Irvin Santana at the bottom of my... But uh, that never happened. So Irvin Santana is... Still, my least read piece ever, and probably my least 
valuable one. So uh, the market works. I'm going to look for it and tweet it right now. <laughs> I think wow. we have we all have the power to delete Grant's post. Do, do we not? <laughs> yeah, we, all, I, McCovey Chronicles like, is is needs some sort of security consultant because we all not have, just McCovey Chronicles. I have the SB Nation front page access still too. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think they I think they neutered it. Well, I, what's what's the name of the SB Nation front page these days? SBNation.com. <laughs> All right, let's see about this. I got news for you. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> but you could. Anyway. Do it. Oh, no. I think it's. I think it's my turn to draft. Uh, you okay. guys, okay. just so you know, you guys, all three of you have uh, editor privileges at McCovey Chronicles, and it's like Jerry Glanville leaving tickets for Elvis to every Falcons game. <laughs> <laughs> I figure anytime if you guys are just drunk at three in the morning and you're like, I want to write about the Giants, but what kind of outlet do I have? <laughs> you know, you all have an outlet, so you're all you're all guest editors there. Yeah, you know what I miss writing about is Michael Morse and his double D tits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the category I'm gonna strip away with my draft. I think it's my pick now because Dra- Grant took baseball. That was a, your serious draft. Is a baseball reference? Dirty words. That wasn't I, it. That's the worst feeling after you draft and someone goes serious. <laughs> well, it's like it's like when the auto. Yeah, so bad. Yes, it's a serious pick. Well, what was it? it? Like 20 years ago, the Ottawa Rough Riders and the CFL drafted a dead person. You remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all right, no, all right, he's all right. a dead, a dead person. Okay, so I'm going to take away the category of off-the-field property disputes, and I'm going to take the whole John Olerud tree story. Uh, I don't. I assume <laughs> that this. You probably are aware of the John Olerud tree story to some extent. I remember. I'll, it well. uh, I'll read you some lines. <clears throat> An appraisal commissioned by the Olerud said removing the tree would increase the value of their four million dollar property by two hundred fifty-five thousand dollars. The trees that belong to the neighbors block 40% of what would otherwise be a 30-degree view of Lake Washington, Seattle, and the Olympic Mountains. John Olerud toward the, told the Board of Adjustment. So John Olerud and his wife had a really nice house up on a hill, and they wanted their neighbors uh, down the hill to remove one old tree of a rarer species and one younger, one other tree of a, a less rare species. And... Uh, and the way that it was settled is that the Olerids then just had to pay to have the trees removed. It cost like $130,000, which apparently trees are expensive to remove, which is interesting that the rainforest keeps disappearing. <laughs> but I think that what strikes me about the story, I don't care about the off-the-field property dispute. I think it's fitting that it's John Olerud who had it because I think you look at him and think that's the kind of guy who, when he's retired, is going to have an off-the-field property dispute. I think he just kind of has the face of a property disputer. But it also kind of... It instantly gives you some perspective of, oh, right, for a lot of these guys, especially guys who look like John Olerud, when they retire, off the field, they're exceptionally, extraordinarily boring people who just have the same stupid crap, like uh, they're spending their weekends replacing the gutters and, like, fertilizing or aerating the lawn. Just they go right back to being these these people who aren't worth your time or attention. And they're actually kind of annoying uh, within the neighborhood because they want a freaking view uh, that... Tearing down trees, paying a fortune to remove those trees. But I think the the ultimate bigger message of this is that baseball players off the field are either irrational and kind of stupid, or they're just dreadfully boring. And so don't meet them is is the point. Don't meet your heroes because they're stupid or boring. That's so that's so weird. Ricky Henderson used to be on the team with the property dispute. Oh, yeah. I was gonna make that same joke. I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna say that I like I like the story better where Ricky Henderson. Tells John Olerud that he once played with 
someone who had a property dispute about a tree. Apocryphal. Well, a joke. Like, yes. He should, have, he should have walked into the, the council meeting or whatever, and like, <laughs> like a, a tearful, impassioned plea, like, what if the tree branch falls on my head? <laughs> Look at me. I'm wearing a helmet. I'm in a city council meeting. What would happen if that tree branch fell on my head? My blood would be on your hands. At, at the first of two city hearings, at the first of two city hearings, Olaru decided Jesus' ammunition to love your neighbor as a reason the bakers, the neighbors, should give the Olerud family the same commanding view they enjoy. Love your neighbor, remove your trees so that we can look at the view and, incidentally, your property as well. Not love your neighbor, don't ask them to remove trees on their property. It's, it's, it's a, some warping of Jesus's message here, but as it happens, uh, it just showed up in the news this morning that Jeremy Bonderman now also has his own property dispute regarding landscaping and bushes that block a public access to the Columbia River. <laughs> so I take property disputes. Excellent. It's good. Okay. Uh, my last pick is going to be platoons. Mm. I like I like platoons. It's a fun word, first of all, platoon. Uh, but also it's, uh, it feels very resourceful that platoons are a thing. It's like, uh, teams are saying that, you know, we, we couldn't, we couldn't get a guy who could hit from both sides of the plate. He just wasn't around. We couldn't afford him, but we're, you know, we're making the best of it. We've got these two guys, you put them together. It takes twice as many roster spots, but, uh, you get the same sort of production out of them. It's, uh, it's a very... It's it's a frank acknowledgement of of a player's lack of ability, I think, which I enjoy. Uh, teams are at the same time saying we will pay you millions of dollars to play for our baseball team, but the second uh, a guy who throws from the left side instead of the right side is is on the mound, we want nothing to do with you anymore. Uh, so you are worth millions, even though you are extremely limited in your abilities, um, which I guess. I, you don't you don't generally hear teams criticize their own players, but that in itself is kind of a criticism. I guess I guess implicitly uh, anything that an employer does not ask you to do is a criticism. No one no one asks us to be the the chairman of the Fed, for instance. So they are implicitly saying that they don't think that we would be good at being the chairman of the Fed. Um, but for baseball teams, you don't hear a lot of self-criticism, but platoons are sort of the same thing. It feels very efficient. Uh, platoon players are sort of like found objects that you can put together in an artistic way, and uh, the whole is greater than the, the sum of the parts and, and such. So platoons, one of my favorite things about baseball. So you have pitch FX, you have ballpark dimensions, and you have platoons. It's so a you, pretty strong draft. You, yeah, you clearly have the best team. But then, like halfway through the season, Platoons is going to get injured, and <laughs> the Red Sox's wacky beards on the waiver wire. <laughs> and then, what are you going to do? <laughs> That's a strong draft. Now, I, I, platoons are. I mean, you don't really. I guess you have line changes, kind of, in in hockey, mm. where you've got you know this guy is going to be your goon. Um, Jeff, Jeff has always liked hockey more than baseball, so uh, he can probably chime in on, on that. But it, it, I think I guess, you're trying to insult me, but it's true. Hockey no, is a I, lot I, more it's fun. It's true for me. In the like the hour or so I spend watching hockey per year is one of the most enjoyable hours of the year, and I keep thinking I should spend more hours doing it, oh. but I never do. 
I think my brother asked me about this. I'm going to cut off Grant's story real quick just to say, to clear the air, I guess, my brother asked me about this, and I think I enjoy watching hockey more than baseball, but I enjoy thinking about baseball a lot more than thinking about hockey. Mm. But thankfully, true. our job is to think about baseball more than it is to just sit and enjoy watching it. I don't think any of us enjoy it. <laughs> it's a struggle can, for us to come up with three things. The Mariners haven't finished with a positive rent differential since I started blogging about them in 2004. Wow. Mm. Wow is right. Yeah, but, I yeah, no. I don't enjoy baseball either. I agree. I think that probably if this were a truly honest draft, the I would only have one item, and that one item is that it provides an outlet whereby I get complimented from people uh, by people. <laughs> That's it. That's why I do this. Yes. I would write about uh, anything in the world if by doing so, strangers sent me tweets that told me I was worth something. Particularly the people on this podcast. Those yeah. compliments count for yeah. a lot. I retweet Sam and Ben. I don't retweet their favorite Grant. <laughs> but but you but you follow Grant. You don't even follow Ben. Yeah, that's the yeah. The, I I get overwhelmed by Twitter because I have a terrible uh, uh, attention span. And then the more that goes on on Twitter, then the harder it is for me to actually get work done. So I would love to follow about two hundred more people on Twitter, but I just cannot do it. I don't. I, I hate. I hate Twitter. I, I hate Twitter. I don't tweet, so I'm a good person to follow. I'm not going to clog up hey, your timeline with you know tweets. You know what? You know what? I'm going to do it right now. Oh, oh, this is a this is a banner day. I'm even going to give you one of my favorites. I, I the day that uh, Jeff followed me, I used I actually used my favorite fun fact in the world. I had basically been saving it for a special <laughs> occasion. I sort of broke it over the the hole of the ship and uh, and I used it right after because I wanted to make a good impression and uh, got a retweet. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> Solid. Where is the follow button? How do you use Twitter? <laughs> Found there. it. Ben's on the list. Now I need to unfollow somebody. I'm going to look for Grant's page. <laughs> All right, go. Uh, do you three get hate mail? No. no. I don't have my email address anywhere. Nobody can find it. <laughs> All right. So they don't send it to the uh, Jeffrey.Soul. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Because <laughs> I, I do it. I'm always like. Because I. I get like things that tell me that, you know, I'm a duty head, stuff like that. And I go out of my way to be mostly inoffensive and bland when it comes to my opinions and wishy-washy and stuff like that. So it always catches me off guard when someone's just like, you know, you're the worst. I get a lot of, you're unfunny. Those, those are really perceptive actually, because I'm not very funny, uh, but I'll, I'll get some of those, but I just was curious if you three didn't and you don't and okay, I got that question. Like, there are a few. <laughs> I mean, I was always warned about like Fangraphs commenters, and they've they're by and large fine, but uh, you do. I think I know that I'm pretty thin-skinned, like probably most writers. Uh, I am far too oversensitive to criticism, and so uh, if I get any, I will curl up into a ball and write stupid crap like what I published this morning instead of things that are good. And uh, but hate mail isn't a thing. There is annoying mail, but less of it now that I don't write about a team. Uh, so much, mm. uh, instead of just all baseball, because uh, then you get the real, the real crazies, like the the radio callers. They're not going to bother the national writers. Uh, you guys, I want to do this forever, but I can't. I actually have to go. So you guys can keep going if you want. No, I'm going to write about Kendrick Morales. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, Ben, read the promo and say goodbye. 
Okay, so please support our sponsor, BaseballReference.com. Go to BaseballReference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back next week, I suppose. Send us some emails at podcast.baseballperspectus.com if you would like, and have a wonderful weekend. Can I draft baseballreference.com? Uh, the play index. You may draft the play index. Uh, well, I, I revoke my last draft, and I draft this episode. Should I call Grant first or Jeff first? Whom do you like more? <laughs> I'm not going to say that when you could be recording. <laughs> I started recording just before I asked you, just yeah. in case I could entrap you. Yeah. Do I sound better this time than last? You do. Much just... better. He doesn't have a microphone anymore, uh, Ben. That's why. He, he's <laughs> using the, the computer just, microphone. Just going raw. Yeah. <laughs> Plugging straight in the board, as they say in the music biz. Hi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Yeah, digging this chemistry. <laughs> hi, hi, Jeff. Wait, yep. what's the draft order? Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. Anybody want to go first, or should I? Are just... we snaking or are we linear? <laughs> 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 it's an important question because there are only so many things that we like about baseball, so we might run out quickly. It's true. Right. There's only three things I like about baseball, and yeah. so we're gonna—they're yeah. very precise. I don't know. Fastest finger. <laughs> That would be a terrible nickname for anybody. <laughs> <laughs>